the last episode, we ran into that roadblock of you're processing your citizenship paperwork for dual citizenship in Italy, but we can't live there because of the 1948 ruling and the way we have to go through the courts. So that kind of screwed things up a little bit. Well, it just means that we could be there for 90 days in every in any 180-day period, but we can't apply for residency and just live there through the entire process. And that's not just for Italy. That's for any of the countries in the Schengen area. Right. But we had hoped that Italy would be an exception because of that process. Yeah. But it's not. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some other options we figured out or being a digital nomad. Right. And that's would give us the opportunity to either live anywhere and bounce around or have some other place be our semi-permanent home while we wait for the citizenship process to finalize. Welcome back to Finding Gina Marie, our video podcast about discovering family and our journey to find a new home in Europe. This is episode 15. If you've missed any of our other episodes, you can go to findinggenamarie.com. We've got contact information on there, got lists of all the notes and everything for episodes, and certainly ways to get a hold of us. I'm Judy. And I'm Kevin. So one of the things that I love about Kevin is that he's just a very can-do person. And we just looked at this setback as just something that we needed to detour around. versus a challenge as opposed to a wall. Exactly. And so when we got home from Italy, we decided to just dive in and explore cities that have a generous digital nomad policy that would allow us to potentially live there full time while we await. So... Just to be clear, digital nomad is an actual type of visa? I don't know that it's necessarily so cut and dry. Italy specifically referred to what they're trying to put together as a digital nomad visa, but sometimes they're not specifically listed that way. So for instance, in Portugal, it's called a D2 visa or a D7 visa. And if you dig into what it is, it actually refers to digital nomads. Okay. I think the most common way people think of digital nomads are people who work in tech or they're entrepreneurs and they can work or live anywhere and do their job. They're not so, tied to one office or one location or some sort of manufacturing process. Exactly. All right. So we specifically were looking at Lisbon and Portugal for this particular idea of being a digital nomad. How did we come up with Lisbon? A couple of ways. The first was, I think I literally just did a Google search to see what were digital nomad best places to live. A combination of things. I know people in the tech community, tech right. space, who live in in Portugal, specifically Lisbon. Just knowing some of the places as a tech worker where they built hubs. So just kind of thinking, you know, I knew when we were in Ireland, Dublin is a place that's yeah. popular for people to be a digital nomad. Way too cold for us, so that wasn't <laughs> on my list. Oh, but I know goodness. it's a popular place that some people... Ireland's a very green country. You know, if you like the countryside, you like that Emerald Isle, I'm sure it's wonderful. Right. We're not I looking for rain and cold. No, not at all. <laughs> so there are a couple of different kinds of visas that we would be eligible for through Portugal. Uh, The first one is a D2 visa, and that one is primarily for entrepreneurs. Setting up a business. 
Yes. But the challenge of it is that you really have to be starting a business in Portugal and you have minimum requirements that are a reasonably high bar for us. Yeah, we don't plan on setting up a shop or a restaurant or anything like that in Portugal. That's not the goal. Right. Then there's also the D7 visa. And that really is what they call the digital nomad visa. Yeah, the passive income one. Well, yes, it used to be primarily for passive income. But they've expanded it to allow people who have income from a foreign source. So, for instance, a U.S. citizen who is employed by a U.S. company that is just working remotely. Okay. Recently, some of the laws have tightened down. For the last three years, it's been pretty loose and easy. But I think as more people are flocking to Portugal, they're revisiting how fast and loose they're playing and handing out those uh, visas. However, we had already kind of made a plan to consider Lisbon. So we're planning to go there and explore whether we would consider it as one of our options. But the D7 visa has a very low bar to entry. You have to have private health insurance to cover you for about 30,000 euro. You also need a Portuguese number. It's called a NIF, similar to a social security number. And you have to have a Portuguese bank account as a couple, about 10,500 euro in it. Less if you're single. You also have to have a long-term lease in Portugal. Ideally, for 12 months or longer, there is a minimum stay requirement. Continuous stay of six months, or if it's non-continuous, it has to be eight months. Basically, you're encouraged to stay 183 consecutive days just to be safe. I'm game. Let's do it. (laughs) You also have to pass a background check and have a clear criminal record, which I think we're okay. (laughs) But he looks kind of shady sometimes. I don't know. You know, sometimes I forget things. So I don't know what I did. (laughs) This type of visa will give you up to two years there. It qualifies as a residency visa with the option to actually become a citizen. There's a distinction between having residency somewhere and having citizenship somewhere. So the citizenship process that you're going through for Italy right now doesn't automatically include me. And even after you get that and we become residents because you're a citizen, that doesn't mean I get to skate on anything. I have to still go through the same process of finding my way to citizenship. Exactly. Okay. You also have to have a minimum recurring income. So for a couple, you're required to be able to document an equivalent of 12,690 euros per year. Any type of income at all, right? Right. Yes. That's like a fairly low bar. That's a very low bar. Does that mean at that point we're paying taxes on that because we have a visa? We still need to talk through all of this with an accountant. But one of the things that is part of this D7 visa is that it also allows for you to have tax breaks for 10 years. So um, I I knew I read something like that. And there was a lot of information online. So if you're watching this later on, always check the websites, always check the latest stuff from Portugal and other countries you're looking at because it's fluid. It changes all the time. Right. As I said, and just in preparing for this episode, I realized that as of June 13th, they had just made the digital nomad visa just a little bit more restrictive than it had been. Clarifications, really. 
like like you said before, there was some gray area that they're starting to define more clearly. Right. Because they hadn't intended or expected that it would have such a great influx of people interested in doing it. They thought, well, wait a minute, maybe we don't want this many people. So they're being a, maybe a little bit choosier. It's all still unfolding. So we're learning as we go. Yep. So let's talk about some of the perks of actually being under a D7 visa in Portugal. I like perks. Let's go for it. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Basically, you get to travel visa-free through any of the Schengen countries, similar to the way you can travel in the United States, but you're not restricted to the 90 days within a 180-day rule that you would be otherwise. But you still have to make sure you keep those days that you need in Portugal for this period of time. Correct. Okay. The residency process is actually pretty swift. So it only takes four to five months. And it also is pretty simple. Maybe you feel more comfortable hiring an attorney or somebody to navigate the process. But it sounds as though the Portuguese system for acquiring a visa is pretty straightforward and the residency requirements are pretty straightforward. There are people who will accept your money if you feel more comfortable using them. It is not really necessary. And that's actually a pretty big perk. Yeah, I've heard some good stories about how quickly people were accepted into the D7 program. And doing it themselves without right. having oh, yeah. to spend a lot of money to get it yeah, done. This is not the same thing as getting a citizenship in a country. There's less paperwork. There's just these requirements. You have to show proof of them, and then you process the paperwork. Exactly. Speaking to the question that you asked previously, there's a tax break called Portuguese Non-Habitual Residency Program. You get to conduct any business as an independent professional, as opposed to if you don't have a visa where in certain situations you're not allowed to conduct business. So if you're there on a tourist visa, a lot of countries have certain restrictions. Even if you are a U.S. citizen living in some foreign country for six or eight weeks, right. sometimes they will only allow you to stay a certain amount because then there's tax implications that U.S. companies don't necessarily want to um, have to navigate. Yeah, I know that for my job, they're offering a remote work program, but we, the employees, have to make sure that we're cleared legally for everything. So we can't do something wrong legally in the country as far as working there. We have to make sure we're okay tax-wise. Every country has its own rules, which makes it, you check on it, you make sure you're legal and go forward. And also you can apply for citizenship in Portugal after only five years. A lot of other Schengen countries require much longer. For instance, if you have no Italian blood and you want to be an Italian citizen, you're required to live in the country for 10 years. Okay, that makes sense. Because I, I remember you saying that before. So I think Portugal in general is very receptive to people coming in and starting businesses or living there as digital nomads, which was a big advantage a lot of people were bragging about it and specifically about Lisbon. They were saying that the community there is friendly to non-Portuguese speaking individuals. You can speak English and they're fine with that. Uh, we don't speak it at all. I actually tried to learn a little bit of Portuguese when we started talking about maybe we're going to Portugal and I found out I was learning the wrong type of Portuguese, as Judy pointed out. So there's two different types. There is Brazilian Portuguese and European Portuguese. Yeah. And although there's overlap, there are a lot of differences. Lot of difference. And if you're going to be in Brazil, by all means, learn Brazilian Portuguese. But if you're going to be in Europe, you really should be learning European Portuguese, which is not available on Duolingo. Right. And that's what I was using. And Judy pointed out, I was like, you know, you're learning Brazilian Portuguese. I went, I didn't know that. <laughs> 
The weather there is really nice. Because it's a coastal town, because you're on the Atlantic, you're not getting the varied weather that you would normally get on an inland city. Yeah, it's just a very comfortable set of climates, especially in Lisbon itself. I don't know too much about all the other cities, but I would imagine that anything on the coast is going to give you more of that temperate weather coming in from the ocean. We are leaning towards exploring Porto and also, of course, Lisbon. How big of a city they actually will be to kind of meet our criteria remains to be seen. And that's one of the big things that we're looking at, the size of the city. If it's not a big enough city, then we're probably not going to get the services we're looking for, which means parks, some sort of metro system or something to get us around, walkability, bikeability, all the things we went through in our list. Even this trip we have planned for Lisbon, trying to get to Porto is not as quick and easy as it was getting from Bologna to Verona. That was a nice quick train ride. They're not so quick in Portugal. And that's one of the downsides of the country. Is it because it's not high speed? I think most of them are regional, and I don't think they've crisscrossed the country as much as, let's say, Spain has, or Italy has, or Germany is starting to. I think more countries have put in high speed infrastructure for the trains, and Portugal just isn't in that zone yet. But because it is a place that has a lot of digital nomads, it means the internet will be exactly what we would want it to be. I would imagine so. Yeah, people haven't complained about that at all. So I'm guessing there's good internet service. And it looks like because the country is designed for technology, that there's probably availability of tech. We need to buy something or get equipment. I also think that it's supposed to be pretty bike friendly and it is old world with the architecture and the art and the culture that we're looking for. Yeah. Now, speaking of bike friendly, it is known as the city of seven hills. Well, okay. That's Lisbon. So which is one of the reasons that I'm at least open-minded to where we spend some time. So I think they call this a mini Rome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and and having lived in San Francisco for so many years, I have a love-hate relationship with the hills. We have always been super advantaged because we've lived on hills, which means we have incredible views. However, in terms of biking and commuting, you know, we're on the top of a hill. So you are always having to walk up a hill to come back from someplace. Yeah. So if we found an area of town that did not require a hill every day, <laughs> a hill every day, that would be my preference. <laughs> okay. But it is nice, like you said, to be on a hill where you have a beautiful view. Maybe we can find a smaller hill. I don't know, something that maybe your older legs can get up and down. And <laughs> <laughs> Watch it. Or, you know, if Porto or another city is big enough to support the things we need, the parks, the infrastructure, the the things we're looking for in a city, sure, let's go to one of those instead. I just don't want to be stuck in a place where We can't access other parts of Europe easily. I think Porto and Lisbon both are good in that way. I think so. They definitely have a good train connection between the two. It's just a three-hour train ride instead of a 30-minute train ride. And I do like some of these other cities besides Lisbon that are closer to water as well. So... I think that it will be like maybe just knowing a little bit more about what those cities actually are like and whether we're losing too much of the downtown feel for beach towns, which I don't think we're really wanting to have. I don't know. We'll see when when we get there. I'm curious if you have any familiarity with Portugal, knowing some of our requirements about uh, where we want to live next, if there are cities that we should incorporate into this trip. It's only going to be a week, so we don't have a lot of time. Again, it's not going to be a touristy trip. 
we are probably not going to get to experience a lot of the museums and those kinds of things, but it's going to be looking at neighborhoods and grocery stores and hills and and hills. (laughs) We are planning to at least get to Porto and Lisbon. But if there's a way to get to other cities, we certainly will try. It doesn't seem like we don't know, we have enough time to get to the southern ones. I think they're pretty far away. But any cities you have, any ideas you have for Portugal, let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear about those. So now that we're planning this trip for Lisbon and Portugal, we also are starting to think about what do we need to do around here, this apartment, this space that we live in, to get ready for a move to Europe. We've decluttered once in moving from Houston to San Francisco. We didn't declutter enough to get to Europe if we're going to take suitcases only. So the next episode is all about our declutter process, what we're trying to get rid of, and our preparation for downsizing to be a digital nomad. If you're enjoying following along with us, please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. Give us a like on YouTube. If you need to find out anything more about Finding Gina Marie, please go to findinggenamarie.com. There's contact information. There's links to other episodes and ways to just find us on Twitter. Until next time. Until next time. I put my marker down. (laughs) Chapter break. (laughs) So rude. (laughs) Don't I just talk when I need to? I'm the tailor. Well, wave your chest at me. (laughs) I'll wave your chest at you anytime I want to. Ready? Speak talent. Is my lord finished? That's going. (laughs) That's going too. I'll decide that's going or not. (laughs) I'm the editor. I'm the editor. (laughs) Ha <laughs>